to another AIGA Atlanta Insider. My name is Courtney Mockett, your host this month alongside Lucas Alvarez. Lucas and I are members of AIGA Atlanta in-house committee and we are so excited to bring you all connections with uh, inspiring leaders in our in-house community. I also work in-house as a senior graphic designer at a commercial real estate company called CBRE. Awesome. Uh, and I'm Lucas Alvarez. I, I work at GNA uh, Institute. We're a sustainability consultant where we put together reports to help companies understand better how they can be sustainable uh, in this growing world. So excited to have you here. Today, we will be speaking with Camilla Benjamin from State Farm. Camilla is a user experience creative director who leads teams and builds enterprise technology and customer facing digital solutions that help life go right. She enjoys building products that positively impact the quality of life. She also has extensive experience both as an in-house designer and an in-agency designer, giving her a well-rounded design and leadership perspective, which we're very excited to go into today. But before we dive in, I want to introduce you to the rest of our in-house committee. Um, we are a small but mighty team of designers who really look forward to finding new ways to bring all of you the best in-house content that Atlanta has to offer. And if you have any interest in joining us, feel free to reach out to Lucas, our board member chair. And now I'd like to pass the floor over to Amy Mangan, our partner at TCG and she'll give us the hot scoop on what's happening in Atlanta. Hi everyone, I'm Amy with TCG. Thanks, Courtney. Um, so on the next slide, I wanna share with you a little bit about what's going on in uh, Atlanta specifically. So this past month, uh, FanDuel actually announced that they're going to be bringing a tech hub to Atlanta. Yet another tech hub. I feel like every month I'm like new tech hub, new tech hub. It's really exciting. Um, so almost a thousand jobs coming here. And I'm sure that we can count on some of those being in the digital creative space. Um, and then on a national level, I thought you might like a peek into what TCG is seeing with our clients who are hiring. So over the last three months, these are the top company industries that have hired creative and marketing talent from us for both contract as well as full-time positions. So this is nationally. So the service industry has been really busy and um, that is in the creative marketing uh, space, manufacturing, then professional services, a lot of high-tech and engineering companies have reached out and filled jobs. And then also we've seen a lot in that financial services space as well. So this is somewhat reflected in Atlanta. It's a little bit different in Atlanta, but nationally, this is kind of the gist of who's hiring uh, creative and marketing folks. And we've been doing a lot of research at Robert Half. There are two pieces that I that are new that I want to share with you. So on the next slide, um, we're talking about sort of the hybrid workforce model and how really that's here to stay. So about half of senior managers are saying that they do expect to continue a hybrid uh, workforce model in the future. Um, a lot of clients we're talking to, especially in Atlanta, but on a national level, are going to continue to be 100% remote for specific roles, especially in the creative space. Um, 
space that many of you are in. So we're seeing that become more the norm um, because there's been a lot of success there. And frankly, people are demanding it moving forward. Um, and so companies are, are listening. Um, about a third of uh, the leadership feels that this is a great way to continue uh, retaining their key employees, making sure they're not losing people, pushing them out by needlessly forcing them back into an office when it may or may not make sense. I think where I'm hearing from creatives have the most issue is if it's just arbitrary. If it's like, you got to be here every Tuesday. Okay, but why? You know, if there's a meeting, if there's some collaboration, if there's a reason, people are much more open to it. But to just have like arbitrary got to be here kind of rules um, isn't going to fly in the future. So if you're in leadership, I would encourage you to um, listen to what your teams are saying, because trust me, um, if they're not being heard, they will start kind of putting their feelers out. And then about a quarter of the folks um, that we responded said the biggest challenge from a leadership perspective is going to be continued engagement and just general productivity. But again, these are things we need to work through and figure out moving forward. We can't just say it's got to go back to the old way because people will leave. They are leaving. Um, so on the next slide, there's... Um, you know, some new data on just kind of what the summer vacation plans look like for people. So about a quarter of folks that we surveyed said they actually forfeited time last year. There were a few reasons for that. I think generally speaking, people are either um, so strapped because their teams had cut um, severely to where they didn't really have the bandwidth to take time off, or they were nervous, frankly, that if they took time off, they might get let go or something. There was just a lot of trepidation last year. So a lot of people, unfortunately, had to just give up their vacation time which isn't cool. So in response to that this year, 33% of people are saying they're going to take over three weeks of vacation. I know um, I'm probably in that boat myself, frankly. So yeah. <laughs> so a lot of us are like, no, that vacation time is happening. I'm going somewhere. Um, and folks are saying, though, almost half are saying they feel more burned out than a year ago. That's something as a leader you need to be aware of. You need to be um, proactively addressing with your team and making sure that people can truly disconnect when they're out. About almost 30% of the folks who we, we surveyed said they feel like they can't ever really fully disconnect even when they're out on vacation. And that's so key to being able to come back, especially when you're in the creative space and being fully refreshed, reinvigorated and ready to like have great inspired ideas again in the future. So if there's any way you can buy your team that space to really create a true like disconnected vacation, that is huge. So feel free to call me to talk about ways that we, you know I can help you with that. But generally speaking, people are going away, they're leaving, they're not doing staycations anymore, and they're going to take their paid time off. So please encourage them to do that. And if you need help to figure out what to do while they're away, let me know. Um, I just want to put a bug in here on the next slide. We have a uh, free webinar coming up with uh, Robert Half and um, Protivity on the next slide for um, just what the hybrid workforce model looks like and what our clients are telling us. So Protivity is our consultancy uh, firm. So if you're interested in a free invite to that, don't don't hesitate to shoot me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn, and I can get you a free invite to that. My uh, contact info is on the next slide, but again, it's Amy Mangan on LinkedIn with the Creative Group. And um, I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to see those surveys or want to see any additional info or anything, let me know. And with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Courtney. Thanks, Amy. I love that there's such a big focus on the balance and our lives as creatives in the workforce and just in general. So all really great trends. 
Um, now I'm really excited to introduce Camilla Benjamin here. If you have any questions for her during our chat, feel free to put it either in the chat or the Q&A feature and we'll funnel them over to Camilla by the end of our conversation. So Camilla, welcome. Hey everyone, good afternoon. How's everyone doing? I'm doing good, I'm Lucas. Good. <laughs> awesome. Our chat is starting to get lively, so I'm sure we're all we're all ready for it to be June and summer beginning. So, anyways, Camilla, so would you share what your role is and what you do as creative director over at State Farm? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a creative director under the enterprise technology division of our organization. I actually work on the UX team where I get the opportunity to partner with designers, architects, content strategists, and our great product team in order to really create customer facing products uh, that really help life go right. Um, State Farm is a great organization that steps in when people have catastrophes or car accidents and really just steps in to help people. So how do we really solve those uh, customer needs by addressing them on the digital experiences? So I work on specifically um, the uh, Drive Safe and Save product, which is a mobile app, which is a discount product, as well as our Steer Clear product that helps young drivers learn how to drive, create safer driving habits, and ultimately safer communities. I love all of that. Um, yeah, it sounds like from our conversations, uh, State Farm really cares about the customer, and you really focus on that. But prior to State Farm, you um, had some experiences both in the agency environment and also freelance. Would you share a little bit of what led you towards State Farm ultimately? Yeah, so I guess I can tell you a little bit about my history, right? So I went to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia and um, much like any other design professor during that time, we were sort of just kind of pushed towards New York City. And so right after college, I moved to New York City and started interning at a global branding consultancy firm. And that's really where I got to start my career. Um, being in New York, as you guys can imagine, just provides a wealth of opportunities, wealth of experiences. You get to like kind of do all things in New York as it pertains to solving different types of design problems. And so after working at that company for almost two years, I freelanced a bit. And that's where I got an opportunity to kind of jump into all types of things. I had a great recruiter that whatever uh, was open, I was open to trying, right? And so I went from doing design for museums to nonprofits, to even some fashion marketing, you know, it was like kind of a smorgasbord of opportunities and experiences that really gave me a chance to uh, just develop uh, various skills and, and really get to see what I really liked. Um, and after that, I moved back to Atlanta and I worked at a great uh, digital agency here in Atlanta called Moxie. And that's where I got to work on really awesome content creation for uh, clients that we all get to interact with like Chick-fil-A and, and UPS and things in Nike Women. And that was really fun. And then I kind of got this idea that technology was continuing to, continuing to influence the design industry. And I just thought it was advantageous for me to move towards product. And um, I just kind of took that step, took a role uh, where I was a creative director at a startup and got the opportunity to really lead that team and build a amazing digital product. Um, and that really got me excited about working with product teams, working in an agile environment and just really diving into the product world. And, I, and I, that's where I 
how I sort of transitioned to State Farm. And funny enough, I never really saw myself at a company like State Farm. Again, you can see through my, my, my history, I was really more on that agency side. And I, th I just thought that that was sort of the trajectory I was going to continue to go down. And um, I had some friends working at the company and I saw them at an event here in Atlanta for, uh, that was uh, targeted for for designers and engineers. And they were like, yeah, I'm at State Farm. And I was like, State Farm? What are you guys doing at State Farm? I mean, I couldn't reconcile insurance with design. It didn't really make sense for me from an outsider standpoint. But once I got to meet the team and really see what the work that we, uh, we were do they were doing at State Farm, it got me really excited. And I wanted to be a part of the team and just kind of jump in. So that's sort of how I, I landed at, um, at State Farm. Yeah, that's so that's so incredible. You kind of had the opportunity to try out all of try on the different pairs of shoes and figure out like which one fit best for you and then landed in a company that seems to be great. I have a similar background. I didn't expect to find so much joy working in house at such a large global company, but there's really a lot of value to it. And I'm sure you have a bigger perspective than me having worked on both sides. I've only worked on the one. But would you share some of your um, kind of perspectives and what you've seen differences, similarities between working in-house and in an agency? Yeah, I would say with agency, my agency experience really got gave me the opportunity to really hone in and develop my design skills. Um, when you're on the agency side, you, you, you're also working on client-facing projects. And so you get an opportunity to kind of try a lot of things, right? Various clients have different um, needs, wants, and desires for their businesses. And so you're not really just doing the same thing over and over again, unless you're like on a retainer project or a retainer client. Um, but with me, I got an opportunity to kind of build uh, build experiences or build um, design, uh, solve, solve design problems for various clients. And so it really allowed me to try a lot of things, learn new design techniques, and really put my design education to the test in a lot of ways. Um, and, and I really developed myself as a great designer in those experiences. As an as a in-house designer and I was an in-house you know, creative, I think you are still utilizing your design skills, but I also think that there's a level of product and business knowledge that you end up really growing in. And so for me, I feel like I've grown as a better leader being in an in-house position versus being in an agency side. And I think you can get both in both places. It's just, it depends on the environment. And for me, I feel like being on the in-house side, I've learned uh, business language. I've you know been in conversations that really influence and impact the organization um, versus being sort of at an agency where you're on the outside and they sort of hire you to solve a problem and they kind of keep it moving. With the, with the, with the in-house position, you're kind of, you dive a little bit deeper, right? You, you dig your roots a little bit deeper. You're not going as wide. And so for that reason, I think you grow a lot. You grow a lot more in your business acumen, your business language. Um, and I think that's a great skill for um, designers to really have. Yeah, especially if you ever are a freelancer and you're working with these businesses, it helps you really understand what, what really drives them forward and you can help them solve their issues. Um, so you you said you did a lot of stuff, a lot of innovate and innovative things in the agency side. But when you came to State Farm, I'm wondering how did you like how did you make that transition from something that was like constantly changing to a company that you really focus in deep on one product at a time or one problem um, for an extended amount of time? How was that? 
Yeah, I think it was really a culture shock for me, right? Because I think when you're coming from an agency side, you, you definitely have this perspective as, you know why I'm here, right? And so you've, you've hired my company to come in and do our job. And with when you're working in-house, it's a little bit different, right? And it also depends on your environment. But for me, it was a culture shock because a lot of times it was more about the relationship building versus the actual work, right? And so it was a, it was a definitely a mental shift for me because I was so used to just kind of coming in, bringing bold, big ideas and people being like, yes, let's do it, let's build it, let's spend our own money on this particular solution. But here I had to really understand, okay, what are, what is the larger implications of my decision-making as a designer? How do I in, ensure that I, I understand business uh, KPIs and, and business metrics to that. How, how is my work influencing that? How do I build the relationships with the right partners to really gain that trust, gain that, uh, gain that insight to ensure that when I do come into the room and I say, Hey guys, I really think this is a good strategy for us to move forward in this direction that, that the relationship is already established and, and it doesn't feel like I'm calling someone's baby ugly for bad, for lack of better words. Right. And so I think for me, really understanding how to focus on strategy, how to ensure that we are seeing the bigger picture at all times, that we have mirrors and, and, and you know, uh, mirrors on all sides of us to ensure that every decision that we make impacts the business in somehow. And we, we are directly as even, uh, as, as employees at, the, at this organization, that, that impacts us as well. And so we definitely wanna make sure that um, those relationships are there we are understanding the business implication of our design decisions and really um, kind of focusing on the strategy to ensure that those things are all connecting and um, you know we're, we're doing the best thing for the organization. That's great. Um, could you kind of share uh, how you would build those relationships and that trust, like how you positioned your team to be seen as partners in the business? Yeah, I think it's, it's it, you know, communication. Um, I think that it is imperative for creative teams to leverage communication when you're building relationships and building and building uh, teams. Really, quite quite frankly, you know, one of the things I always try to do as a creative leader is to create a one team mindset. I know that a lot of organizations that are at scale. Um, inevitably create silos, right? For some, some way and somehow silos are created. It's sort of human nature. We find people that look like us, that you know, eat the same foods, like the same music, and we just kind of gather with each other. But really, we're still just one company. So how do we break down those imaginary silos and create that one team mindset? That's something that I strive to do each and every day in the, in the role that I get to play, that I get to sit in at Safe Farm. And so I do that by simply, like I said, over communication. I believe in setting up those meetings sometimes just to make sure that we're on the same page because semantics, right? Everyone doesn't speak the same language. Sometimes if I can sit, if I say, let's say I say design thinking session, that can that, that image may be completely different to someone than, than what someone with, with my background, right? And so how do we just over communicate? How do we make sure we're on the same page? How do we ensure that we are moving and, and walking at the same pace and shooting at the same basket? Um, I think I believe in bringing in leadership early, right? I think that leadership, um, having that, that, that oversight or even that, that paved that that path paved for the team to be successful um, is always helpful and advantageous in the process of developing strategies and pushing the business forward right so when you have executive leadership or you have a you know a manager's approval on certain strategies that helps 
you know, we even bring directors together from different groups, right? Like, I love doing that. I'm like, okay, you need to talk to so-and-so so we can bring it together and so we can all shoot at the same basket. And I like to facilitate that because that allows us to move further faster. Um, and, and really just in, in, in documentation, I think documentation is a huge key at, 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 as well. When we put things in writing, we put it in front of people, I think people are naturally visual. And so when we when they are allowed, they can see things, not just hear things, but we're playing on two different senses. Um, it really helps us, uh, again, establish that trust, ensure that we're all shooting at the same basket and move further faster. I love all of that. You, you were mentioning how communication is such a key skill and you, and it, you've told me before that you empower your designers to kind of act as that same facilitator and lead meetings as well. So if you could share a bit more about how you've empowered your team in that, yeah, in those I, I think, situations. Yeah, I think that everyone's a leader regardless of your position, right? Uh, regardless of your title rather, right? You have, you are a leader. And so I, I really, emphasize that on my teams because even as a creative director, I'm not the one who has all the answers. I'm not the one that knows all the strategies. I really learned that from my leadership actually, because I think previous, uh, I guess, environments were much more hierarchical, right? They had these hierarchies that were super established and your title meant everything. And if you had a certain title, you had a certain voice or volume in the room, right? And I just don't subscribe to that. I, I believe that a junior designer can come into a space and bring a strategy to the forefront that no one else has thought about, just because they have a different perspective. And so I believe in diversity and thought. I believe in uh, allowing people to act as leaders and be autonomous in that way. Um, and I believe of, I believe in leveraging people for their in their strengths. I'll, ultimately helps us move further faster as well. And so um, I definitely do empower teams to act as leaders. As a creative director, I can't be in every conversation. I can't be in every uh, design thinking session. I can't be in every strategy session. I can't because I, I would be spread too thin. And so what I do then is I, I establish the direction. I, I establish the the motive that we're trying to achieve. I established sort of the, the North Star. And my expectation is for you to be able to interpretate that North Star, synthesize it and help this team move forward and act as, a, as an autonomous leader. And so that's really important to me because I have to trust even my team members to do that so that I can feel like I can do my job in other places. And then we work sort of like a beehive, right? And we're all working towards a common goal and, um, but everyone has a role. That's so refreshing. I feel like that's a very um, great leadership perspective and practice, um, really making everyone on the team feel heard and included and empowered. Uh, so you kind of mentioned this. Well, actually, I just noticed Liam had a great question that's perfectly in line with what we were just talking about. So I'm actually going to throw this in here first. So he asks, how do you communicate your large scale goals to your team? Oh, that's a good question. So, and, and I, I think context is everything, right? So when I'm, I'm assuming when he says team, he's, he's assuming the creative team, right? Um, and um, when you're communicating strategy, large-term goals, I think it's important to see the macro and the micro, right? So I love to show both ends of the spectrum. So the macro is like, okay, how, what does all of this mean for our business and our organization and our enterprise at large, right? Why are we even talking about this? I think a lot of times we lose that, in, we lose that perspective of like, there's a larger picture at play, especially when you're in an organization 
as large as State Farm, and we have over 60,000 employees, there's many strategies, many things that are happening simultaneously that we can't even see. So it's important for us to kind of keep that larger picture in mind. So that macro view helps us remember why we're even here, why we're talking about these things. What is my role in this big picture? And then we bring it down to the micro, right? So that says, so what do I do, right? What is my thread in this big tapestry? And so that's how we started sort of to com communicate those, those directions, right? So we want to paint the picture, the big picture. We say, here's what's happening at large. Here's why we're talking. Here's what the enterprise is trying to do, right, at, at large. But here's where you fit in. And I think that there's levels to that, right? Because there's, there's like this mid-ground as well, because each, you know, division has their own goals as well. But how do we continue to synthesize that information down to the singular thread? And I think that's super important because it, I think what that does for your team is empowers your team to remember why they're there and why they show up to work every day. So they're not just clicking a button or pushing a pixel. It means something, right? And so that's super helpful. And I think that that's something that we all as leaders um, should strive to do. That's, I think that's perfect. I mean, that makes total sense communicating the bigger picture. You know, whether you create a creative brief, you're typing it in an email, however you, you convey it, making sure that all those points, everybody knows where we're going, goes back to what you were just talking about. And then now working with your team specifically, maybe that's the micro, maybe it starts to get macro, but we just got another good question uh, from John Lee asking, can you describe your working relationship with your art directors and designers? So how do you translate, here's what we're trying to do, but then how do you actually work with them? How's that relationship? Yeah, so our team is really interesting. So let me kind of give you guys a little bit of a glimpse behind the curtain a little bit, right? Because every environment is different. Every design team structure is different. You know, the way that we do it at State Farm may not be the way that someone does it elsewhere. And so the way that our construct is from a very general standpoint is that we have an XD slash what we call, we call our experience design slash UX team that houses our, you know, senior creative director. We have directors, senior creative directors, creative directors, I'm giving you kind of the, the roles and responsibilities, um, architects, designers, and content strategists. We also have a role called a DEA, which is a digital experience architect, which is essentially a peer of a creative director, but they focus more so on architecture questions. Some of they work partner with sometimes with the, you know, the, the, the product team to ensure technical feasibility and things of that nature. And then we have our product team that's directly linked to our business partners, right? And so while that we are not one team just yet, right? The future tense is that we hope to create that one meshed environment where it's synonymous if we say XD, right? Um, but we have our product team that also focuses on sort of the product and that's where you have your product owners, your dev team, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's sort of the environment that we sit in. And then the way that the creative director works with designers, it depends on the team, right? So I'll just give you a quick example of, we have a construct where we have sort of discovery and delivery, right? So what there are certain team members on our team that focus on long-term strategy, things that are a little bit further down the line. That's usually where the creative director or maybe a, a, um, a DEA may focus on. And then we have our, our delivery team that focuses on that every day in the, in the, product really looking at what the current state is how do we iterate continually how do we ensure that we're reading and understanding the the, the data the information that our customers are saying and iterating and changing it in real time right and so what i do is i sort of work with i work on the discovery side that long-term strategy but i work with that delivery team to ensure that 
these two things are sort of coming together and that strategies that are coming down the pipeline are mapping to what, what our current state looks like. And so what I do is I essentially kind of bring those two worlds together and ensure that whatever is happening on that delivery team, whatever is happening on a day-to-day -day basis is still meeting the mark from a strategic standpoint. And we're ensuring that we are still driving this product towards the right direction. They have autonomy and then, like I said, in, in leadership to partner with the right partners to ensure that they're answering, you know, getting their questions answered and all those good things. But I, I, I sort of help guide them from a strategic standpoint and allow them to really utilize their skills and their and their strength strengths to push the product forward from a delivery and execution standpoint. Hope that makes sense. Oh yeah, that did for sure. Yeah. It's, so yeah, oh, go ahead, Lucas. I was just gonna say, it, uh, you know, that's a huge team that you just described too. A lot of components, a lot of moving pieces, and I think you simplified it really well by saying, in general, you know, connecting the macro with the leadership, and then bringing that back down to the micro of actually doing it, and your experience and agency of being able to test and iterate, bring that to the table to help the team expand their view. Because I think that's one thing too, and I'm, I love to hear your uh, feedback on like the in-house teams can sometimes get uh, stuck with their, what we're doing. Like it's, it's all about State Farm and uh, the look and feel of State Farm as it is right now. And that's where the agency life can come back into hand where it's like, can you push us out of this barrier? So you having that larger expanse that you were talking about in the beginning and now the deeper dive of understanding the specific needs of State Farm, like bring that to the table. I think that that's the best. That's awesome. That's, that's how you should do it. It sounds great. <laughs> yeah. It, it's fun because I think when you get an opportunity, when you're, when you're an individual who hasn't been, I work in an organization where there's a lot of people who've worked there for decades, right? So you imagine there's not just legacy systems at play, but maybe some legacy thinking. And so it's important for me to leverage my sort of newness of this to, into this organization to really help us push it push it forward, right? I, I think that there, when you think about legacy thinking, it's it, it could be the potential mindset could be, uh, well, we've always done it this way and it, it's not broken, so why are we trying to fix it, right? And so for me, that's where that leadership, that communication, all those skill sets that I talked about earlier really come into play because it's not just about coming in and innovating and pushing it forward. It's about how do we build that relationship so that we're all walking together and, and shooting at that same basket. Awesome. We, we have a few other questions. I'll see, let's throw these in here. Uh, Liz asks, like, what types do you look for hire for everyday work? I'm guessing types of uh, personality. I'm not sure exactly what, uh, or just in general, what do you look for when you're looking for someone for uh, the micro working at the actual level? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, one skill set that I think is almost obvious, but I'll, I'll speak to it because I do, I do think it's important because I will say for myself, there was a misnomer, misconception of in-house designers versus agency designers. And I think the misconception was that in-house designers weren't as talented, you know, or didn't have the same skill set as someone who was working at a wide end, working at a, you know, yeah. insert one of those big agencies that we all know about, right? The truth is it's not, it's not actually, that's not actually a fact. And I learned that, um, and that's just me being honest. I learned that actually being in this space. Um, I look for someone who has strong design skills 
Why is that important? Yes, we have a design system. Yes, there's there's it's in there's a design system that we follow that keeps us in brands, but I still want someone who understands design. I want someone who understands like the 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 fundamentals of typography, the fundamentals of white utilization of white space. I want someone who understands these things because that just helps us move further faster. I don't have to nitpick designs and talk about spacing and things of that nature when we can just focus on the experience. So that's really important. Design skills are really important. I also think someone who's comfortable with being a self-starter. I think someone who's able to have that um, capability of, like I said, being a leader in a space. You may not have the title per se, but don't let the title stop you from making decisions and pushing things forward and asking the questions that are going to help you get the insight that you need in order to really innovate. Um, and I think someone who's who's uh, fun to be around. Look, we work more. We're with our coworkers more than we are with our families and the friends, the people we get to choose that we want in our lives. I ultimately want to work with fun people who are nice people and you know who enjoy what they do, right? And so I think that that's important too. I look for someone who just has a you know warm personality and 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 like loves what they do. And I think it just makes fun work more fun. I mean, those kind of soft skills go a long way. So I don't I don't I don't despise those at all. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely, sorry, Courtney, I chimed in on that. You can't really teach personality as much as you can teach skills. So if you get somebody who's really into it and is a little, needs a little more work, uh, probably, in my opinion, that weighs really heavy, uh, just like you had said. You got, you're going to be around them all the time. So, (laughs) So, yeah, another question that came in is along the same lines. So, beyond just the visual design skills, are you looking for folks that do understand business strategy, marketing principles, or is that like sprinkles on top of the Sunday, just a little bonus extra, or do you think that's something that you could learn on the job? That's a really good question. Cause I, I also think about context and I think about leveling, right. And where people are, if you're new to your career, you're coming in, you may have like maybe a year or two of experience. You may not have that the enough substance to be able to say, yes, I can go into a room with business partners and have that conversation. You may be able to run a maybe design thinking workshop or maybe a creative session, brainstorming session, but you may not be able to have those strategic conversations just yet. So I think leveling is also contextual in this in, in sort of this answer. Um, so I also can, I also consider that I consider where is someone in their career and what would I expect someone at that level or that that many years of experience have exposure to to be able to actually you know, step into certain roles or certain certain aspects of a role. Um, I do think it's something that could be learned on the job because every environment is different. Um, the principles may yet be the same, right? Um, I can probably go to another company and have similar principles as it pertains to leadership and relationship building and communication and things of those nature, but the environment changes, right? And so therefore that adjustment needs to happen and how do things get done at this company versus this company? But I do think that having those skills are just help you regardless of what environment you're in regardless of what company you're working at those design skills help you here's why it's because so many times designers get pigeonholed i think and they they're looked at as just the person to push the pixels or make something pretty we all heard it oh so and so will just make it pretty that is like cringeworthy that's a cringeworthy like set of words for any designer because we know how much work we put into, how much thought, how much strategy we put into the work that we do that it's more than just making it pretty. It's more than just pushing a pixel and changing the color. And so I think when you have those skill sets that help you ha- communicate well, 
and be able to attach your designs to a business strategy, it helps you go further faster. And it actually invites people to understand the creativity and the process that you do much better because your their ears are more so tuned to you because you speak their language. I believe that every designer should have business acumen or grow into that and, and be bilingual, if not trilingual. And what I mean by that, speak both speak multiple languages, be able to speak the language of business, be able to speak the language of creativity and execution, right? And connect those things. And when I say trilingual, if you're in an environment that's a technical environment, be able to speak the language of technology, know how to partner with your dev partners and your product teams in order to move things further faster. Those skill sets just ultimately help you get further faster and invite you to have a seat at the table where most people who just keep their heads down and just pixel push wouldn't necessarily be invited into those strategic conversations. So good. All of, all of those are such good insights for sure. And I've seen it play out at my job as well. Like once you know the languages, it'll definitely help you build those relationships and strengthen that trust that you were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. as well as helping you with your own communication skills. So all around a good thing. And, and if you're uh, not, I was going to say one more thing. And if you're not, if communication is not a, like an innate strength, because everyone has different strengths and I think that's okay. There are resources out there. You know, a lot of people may think this is kind of old timey, but things like Toastmasters or, you know, improv classes, things of that nature can get you out of your comfort zone and push you forward so you can feel more comfortable on being able to answer questions on the fly or just feel comfortable being in front of a crowd. Don't, don't despise those, you know, those resources that maybe our parents use. Maybe there's something worth in them. You know, there's something valuable in them. So pick up a Toastmasters class or, uh, or join a Toastmasters organization or pick up an improv class and, and really push yourself out there to really push yourself in that area if it's not something you innately or uh, instinctually feel comfortable with. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, I just, it, it means so much what you're saying too. I feel like uh, describing what you're saying, I've been in the position, I've seen other designers go through this. Um, you know, they can spend hours and hours and hours developing something that does attach to a strategy. But if you get up there and you're not really talking about the strategy and you're talking about color or the way that you approached it, it just, goes in one ear or the other and they'll ask a question attaching the strategy and then start sh shifting it it'll be like well I like this color better and on top of that what about like they'll just start talking the, you just want to keep the guardrails so the conversation stays uh, and they can focus on the important things that uh, we all spent so much time on <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah indeed so another thing that we talked about um, before was how big mentorship is in your life and has been in your life. And I feel like some of the themes have come up. I've heard through our conversation already, but I would love if you could share about how mentorship has impacted you. Yeah. And how you spread it. Mentorship has, it's, it's been a part of my life since I can remember. Uh, one of my first mentors was, I, I got my first mentor in high school. She really guided me into really choosing the path that I am on now. Um, one of the comments that was made to me was, hey, if you really want to pursue design, this design thing, you probably want to go to an art design school. And I was thinking at that time I was going to go to like a, you know, re regular liberal art, regular big college, UGA, something like that. And it really pushed me that direction. And I'm really happy that I got that insight so early because I got to really focus in on what I wanted and just develop that skill from a very early age. And so I'm really happy for that, that guidance. And here's the thing, 
the most successful person that you can point to or think about right now has a mentor, has a coach. No one is self-made. Each leader, each person that you see to that, that is really good at what they do, they have someone in their corner giving them that insight, giving them the, telling them about their blind spots, giving them perspective on how to think about something, right? And, 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 and I believe everyone should have a mentor or someone in their corner that can speak to them concerning a particular subject matter. Have multiple mentors, right? Mentor for your career, mentor for your you know, finances, someone who's a subject matter expert who has been down that road in some capacity who can feed and give you back insight that's gonna help you move further faster in your life. And so for me, I believe in mentorship. I don't think I would ever be too successful or too high up on the chain or whatever for me to consider that I don't like that I wouldn't need someone in my corner to really um, feed that insight to me or give me that new perspective. And so I actually mentor UX designers currently. Um, there's hundreds of, I mean, here's the thing. When we were com when I was coming up, I would say we didn't have as many resources that were so readily available to us like ADP lists or UX coffee hours or even LinkedIn, being able to just DM someone and say, hey, I would love 15 minutes of your time to just pick your brain. You guys, I, I encourage all my mentees to do that. If you see someone that's in a position that you're aspiring to be at, never be afraid to reach out to that person and let it be a low impact, a low risk amount of time. 15 minutes is not a lot of time. And if you ask for 15 minutes of someone's time and you, and you ask them, Hey, I just want to get 15 minutes of your time because I'm setting out to do this thing. And I would love to get your perspective of it. Most people will say yes to that because it's only 15 minutes, right? You may not, you might end up, you might end up having a 30 minute conversation with them because it's just that, just that good, but your entry and your, your open door came from just only asking 15 minutes and asking for 15 minutes. And so I say all that to say that um, I believe mentorship is something that everyone should consider in their lives and never be afraid to, to ask for help or seek that insight that's gonna help you get further faster in your, in your journey. Yeah, I feel like I found that even though it can be very scary to reach out to someone that you don't know, ultimately humans really do just wanna help one another and share the wisdoms that we've all gained from our individual perspectives. And this kind of leads into another topic we've chatted about that I find really interesting. Um, you've mentioned about how important it is, like the diversity of thought mm -hmm. among people on your team and just in the world. Um, would you share a little bit more about the dangers of having like monolith thinking on your team? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So I would say that it is at every organization and every team's best interest to have diversity and thought, especially in the field that we are in. Um, think about it, guys. Let's just say, let's paint a scenario. Um, so let's say we're working on a bank product. Uh, we're all on a bank team or we're on a financial product team. And we all come from very similar socioeconomic backgrounds. So maybe our parents were, you know, not wealthy, but we were, you know, we never wanted for anything. We never under, you know, saw or had lack in our lives. And that's the vantage point that everyone on our team currently has. And now we're trying to build a product and we're trying to solve a problem. Maybe the problem is how can someone get access to their money quickly? Right. And how do we make a product that allows people to get access to their money quickly? And we don't have the perspective of someone who may not have an actual bank account because that's just not something that we would know to even think about. But today in 2021, there are people in America who don't have bank accounts, who actually every time they get paid with a check, go to a check cashing place. 
to actually get their money, access to their money. So a digital product that doesn't allow someone who maybe has that different economic background or that particular you know, journey to get access to their money, and we don't necessarily have that, that point of view, we will be creating a product that that's not very inclusive, that actually excludes people to some degree. Now, of course, there's an 80 20 rule, maybe a 90 10 rule that maybe we cover 90% of the landscape and we, we, we leave out 10. But isn't it better to have a product that covers more people and their needs and their particular service, you know, journey, journeys and their particular um, need, you know, needs, wants, and desires than maybe one that provides less equity or less inclusion? So for me, I believe. Creating teams that have diversity, not just in race and gender, but in socioeconomic and age and in different, just different backgrounds allows us to think deeper and wider about the problems that we're solving. And so when we have, when we create teams that we're just hiring people that sound like us, look, at us, look, like, look like us, dress like us, think like us, we're just perpetuating this idea of building products that only fit the needs for us, and you can surely you can utilize leverage research, lever leverage data to kind of help guide those conversations. But it's, it's so much better when you have someone in the team who may just say, "Hey, you know, I have an uncle that doesn't have a bank account. How will we solve this for him?" Right, and that just sparks a whole new idea, a whole new thought process that allows someone to say, "I don't know, I never thought about that. Let's go ahead and go back to the whiteboard and think through that journey and think through that scenario a little bit differently, so that we can really achieve and build a product that's truly inclusive and really meets meets the needs, wants, and desires for lots of people, not just some." That's so great. Um, that's I was yeah. So when we were talking about that before, and it still resonates with me, and I think it's it matches so well, like you said, with the UX field, but it's applicable to pretty much all fields, even beyond design. And I think when you really shift that perspective and you make that more a forefront, I feel like overall we can make a little bit of a better society overall. So I love that you put such a focus on that. Um, I have a question about, so you've, you've mentored, you um, are thinking about like kind of the future, I think of our future designers. So when you're looking at young UX designers portfolios, for example, um, I would love to know like what advice you have for them. Like what, what, are, what do you see most often perhaps lacking or that could like really bridge that gap into that perfect role for them? Yeah, you know, <laughs> one thing I've come to learn being, a, being in this opportunity, being in this seat to be able to mentor other people is that creating a UX portfolio is one of the hardest things to do. Like if anyone's on this call, they're like, man, I am struggling through creating a UX portfolio. I keep iterating. I keep changing. I keep taking out stuff, putting in things. I get it. Like I totally get it because it's not really an easy task. Here's why. There's so much that goes into what we do, but how do you show it all? How do you how do you make it clear? How do you storytell? How do you bring that to the forefront to really allow enable the person who's you know looking at your portfolio, perhaps without your presence, right, to get a real true sense of all the work that you put into solving this problem? And sometimes it's just a lot of stuff. And so the the I'll I'll say two things here. I'll say the first thing is one of the things that I, I encourage. UX designers to do when they are building their portfolios. Remember, you don't have to put it all out there. Remember, you are storytelling. There's a really great feature that you can utilize like an appendix, right? 
I mean, we're usually um, not back in the day when I first started, we would actually print our portfolios and we would have like this big portfolio case. And that's what we will walk around with. Right. Well, we don't do that anymore. So the good thing is you can build your portfolio online. And with that, you can hyperlink to things. You can put things in an appendix. You can draw, allow someone to uh, get the get the story that you're trying to tell and if they want to dive deeper that insight and that information or that artifact is re readily available to them you don't want to throw the encyclopedia at someone expect them to read it and get the full stories the full context you got to give someone a story something they want to lean into and, and really utilizing the customer utilizing the the actors at play in the scenario really make that makes that story come alive so remember you can utilize an appendix you can utilize hyperlinks you don't have have to put every single artifact or every single detail into a portfolio or a case study because it most people are not going to read it all here's that's 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 the truth right most people aren't going to read it all because there's going to be most likely two times that someone is going to see your portfolio one you're not present right you you applied for a job someone clicked your link and they're just looking at it and you want them to get excited about you right not necessarily feel overwhelmed by all the words on your page. And the second time they're gonna see is, you know, when you get an opportunity to present your work for them potentially. And so with that, you are still telling a story and you want someone to be to lean into your story and let and not get so focused on the very minute details. And because look, we know how much work went into it, right? And I want you to still showcase that, but do it in a very smart way. So that if I really wanna dig dig deeper or double click on something, I can and get that insight or get that information. Um, The other it's thing like is- a, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, it's like a choose your own adventure portfolio. Yeah. Like, I'm interested in going to page 136 to see what happens when I dig deeper. Yeah, exactly. And give someone the opportunity to do that so that they can, feel like they're getting what they need. And then it kind of, you know, covers a basis for them. The second thing that I would say is at the end of the day, people hire people that they like, right? People hire people they feel connected to. And so make sure you show yourself, right? Show, don't be afraid to show, you know, tell some aspect of you personally on your portfolio, on your about page. Don't make it so sterile. Um, I think back in the day, um, I would say for me, there was a point in time where I was not comfortable being completely myself because I was just trying to get the job. I was right out of college and maybe there was an aspect of myself I hid because I don't know, maybe it was because there was a there was a mold that I thought I was supposed to fit. But today the world is a lot different. And I think that if you put out the uniqueness of who you are, more people will be like, hey, I want to meet that person. That's an interesting, you know, about me. And again, it doesn't have to be an encyclopedia, right? Find a smart way to tell your story in a in a nice way so that so when someone sees your portfolio, they get a sense of who you are and why you would be a great person to work with. I love that. I really love that. That last part specific, uh, specifically about telling your story. You, you know, you're telling two stories, basically. You tell your work story and you curate that for the job. And then you also tell your story and you highlight. You want, you want to give enough of it like you're describing so that they want to know more about you too. You know, if you share everything, there's no mystery. So having a little bit of tension there to invite them to have a conversation, I think is really great. It's a movie trailer, right? Yeah. If I've seen the whole movie in the trailer, why do I need to buy a ticket? <laughs> so I'm going to switch over to the Q&A chat. So if anyone has any last questions you want to squeeze in, we're getting down to the last 10 yeah. minutes or so. Um, pop in there. This has been a great conversation, Camilla. Um, 
I know. May, May was wondering, what's your experience as a woman of color in tech? And are there diverse leaders out there in any field that you look up to? Wow, that's a good question. Let me say it this way. I think we're getting better. Um, look, the, the industry still doesn't have as much as I would like to see, right? But back in the day, there was none, much less. I mean, I, I remember my first female creative director that I ever had, right? It was well off into my career. Um, and I think that as the society, as society has matured and we've gotten more understanding to diversity, I think it is something I'm seeing much more often. Um, having women in color in tech is something that, um, we're just say, I would say people of color in tech, right? From all diverse backgrounds. Um, it's still something that's still a growing populace, but the more I see it, the more excited I get. And that's why I think mentorship is super important and, and really reaching back, right? To the people who are coming up so that they feel confident, like, look, there is a space for you. And, you know, just continuing that trend to say like, hey, I know you thought that there wasn't a space for you, but look, I'm here. And so when people get to see like myself or, you know, another leader of color in a position of leadership, um, it just inspires people to say, yeah, I can, I can, I can do it too. And so I think it's, it's a great, a great thing. And I, I look forward to seeing more and more of it. Yeah, it's so great to see it almost gives you permission when you see it out there to strive for something that like you said your mentor who said you should go to art school and you're just like this didn't even cross my mind and now look where you are yeah creative director at, of UX so yeah so good helping one another um Lucas are there any other questions yeah. in the chat yeah uh, here's here's one uh what do you love about being a creative at State Farm like what's a does it have that? I mean, obviously it has that inclusion, but is there anything else specifically that you're excited about? Yeah. I mean, we, first of all, State Farm is an awesome company, guys. Um, one, one cool thing is I don't have to worry about the products that we're working on, like hurting someone. <laughs> like that means that's meaningful to me, right? Like to me, I'm like, and hurting someone is probably a dramatic way to put it. But for me, I just think that we get to just build products that help truly help people in, in their everyday situations and circumstances. And to me, that is impactful and meaningful because I have a certain compass in me that just doesn't, just wants to work on things that are do that do good for the world. Right. And so um, I think that's also awesome. And also the people who work at Safe Farm, I, you know, for me, I choose companies because of the people, not because of the, the company itself. And so when I, when I came into, when I told you guys that story about you know, my friends working there and um, seeing the team, seeing the team is what made me lean into coming to work at State Farm. It wasn't the, the company's name. I never thought about working at State Farm prior. It wasn't on my bucket list, right? And so meeting the people and the team, um, it's a good group of people. Like it's some, it's some really awesome individuals who um, just love what they do. And we get to kind of come show up every day and do our job. And that's really, that's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, find, we've heard that over and over again, too, in our talks about the people that you work with. It's It seems so obvious, but again, when you think about the mold, I need to be this to get into a job, and you're thinking about how you can get in there, sometimes you forget who you're going to be working with, and that changes everything about the job, so it's just yeah. it's awesome and huge. So, yeah. uh, we uh, have a so oh, go ahead. yeah, I feel like I was going to say, I feel like we should wrap it up with one more question. It came in just a moment ago and um, I'm into it. 
So Sam asked for you, uh, what's your next creative goal, whether it's personal or career-wise? Ah, oh, I love it, Sam. Okay, so I, as as I've, I think I've sp- spoken to this a little bit, um, but for me, creative leadership is like something that I just see in my forecast. And what I mean by that, one could say, well, you're already a creative leader, but really, um, I, I see there's this there's this open door for, and, and it's a place where I, I think it's a that I, I don't see often not and often enough at certain at certain organizations at scale, but having you know a role like a chief creative officer, right, that sits at the table, the executive table, and has those business conversations. Who, but we also have the the context of the customer experience simultaneously, how that's going to actually show up in the world, and to really guide businesses and organizations and sit at those tables at that level. I think that's where I think we should be trending towards, and I, I see myself heading heading in that direction. Um, I, I see sort of this trifecta in my mind of like business design and technology working very, very closely together and just having that, for lack of better words, three-headed monster that really drives a business forward um, and, and, and having those those three legs operating simultaneously, um, I think it's just going to be advantageous to any organization. And so more organizations that have positions like that at scale, um, is this going to be better for the business? Because at, at that point, we're no longer waiting you know, making business strategies and making business decision and then just tossing it over the fence and waiting for the creative team to build something that looks good and then just send it back, right? Now we're working together and we have that executive leadership at the top, top, top. So that's what I see. Love, it. Love that vision. And I totally trust you in that role for <laughs> sure. Um, Kamala, it's been so wonderful chatting with you. And I know that everyone that participated, the chat has been very lit with a lot of positive reactions to everything you were saying. Um, Thank you for joining us. Your career is inspiring and I look forward to seeing what you do next. So everyone else have a great rest of your afternoon and week and we'll see you again next month. Thanks everyone. Thank you.